In Southeast Agnet Sag in review for the week ending February the 12th, one issue that the National Cattlemen's Beef Association staff in Washington, D.C. is dealing with concerns a rulemaking from the Environmental Protection Agency that affects not only cattle producers but all livestock producers. Scott Yeager, NCBA Environmental Counsel, explains. The formation of fine particulate matter in the air, it's called PM 2.5. As you know, uh, cattle produce ammonia when they defecate and when they urinate. This is especially a big issue for big beef feedlots because there are a lot of, there's a lot of ammonia coming off of those feedlots. And now under the Clean Air Act, ammonia is a precursor of this fine particle matter. So ammonia goes in the air, it mixes with other stuff, and it creates fine particle matter, which is regulated by the Clean Air Act. So there's a, a rulemaking that we commented on to try to kind of focus the EPA on not looking at animal agriculture to regulate under this because the way it's designed is going to capture a lot of animal operations and it's going to create a lot of issues moving forward. So we're trying to do education for the agencies and comments and kind of keep them focused on what they need to do and not kind of reach out to these other animal ag, which has also historically not been regulated under the Clean Air Act. We want to keep it that way. And Yeager says part of the issue is how do you deal with it? If the EPA were to come out tomorrow and say, hey, feedlots, you guys need to stop this ammonia from coming off your feedlots, what are they going to do? And do we have technologies or management practices that can fix that? I don't, I don't know that we do right now. So there's the issue of, well, if you're going to regulate it, you need to have a solution to, to make sure that whatever you regulate is going to actually be, be economically viable and also going to produce the outcome that you want. And I don't know that EPA has looked that far into the future yet. Well, in other news, the American seed industry is pulling together in an effort to help save the monarch butterfly. Sabrina Hill has more. Some of those groups pushing for the endangered species classification are using the monarch butterfly decline to push other agendas, such as anti-biotech and anti-pesticide opinions. But the seed industry is taking an active approach to help the monarch butterfly population. American Seed Trade Association's Vice President of Government Affairs, Jane DeMarchi, says a key ingredient in the mix is milkweed. The milkweed has been identified as one of the key species of plants that's really necessary for those um, monarchs to thrive. So there's a number of initiatives, both state-based and national, to try and increase monarch habitat. And the seed industry, we're, we have um, milkweed seed available. Um, we're finding that it can be put into a mix so you can have benefit generally pollinators and also monarchs specifically. But there's some concerns about planting milkweed as well. Lots of people have spent a lot of time trying to eradicate milkweed. So to bring it back, as someone described it, as, and rebrand it as milk flour, it's going to take some more time for people to get used to, to doing that and to figure out how they can best plant milkweed and have it be beneficial for the monarchs at the same time. The answer, experts say, is to encourage growers and others to plant milkweed along a key stretch of the nation. The correct type of milkweed seed is available to growers, as is funding for providing a butterfly habitat. For seed questions, growers may contact the American Seed Trade Association. And for information on funding, they should head to their local Farm Service Agency office. I'm Sabrina Hill. Well, there's a crop insurance deadline coming up at the end of this month, and Tyron Spearman has that reminder. February the 28th is another important day for farmers planning to grow crops this coming year. That is the deadline for securing crop insurance. February the 28th is for Alabama, Florida, and Georgia. That is your sales closing dates. Coming up this year, a grower can opt to insure on an enterprise unit, resulting in lower premiums. Over half can be saved if you insure the entire area. They said that the current harvest price for insuring runners is $416.15 per ton. 
Virginia type is $482.735. Spanish, which has been had a Southeast Spanish now, is $553.48. The quality adjustments will start with 10% of the value that has been lost as a result of quality. And they also said the coverage levels that you can buy up will be 50% up to 85% in 5% increments. So mark that deadline, February the 28th, to his closing date for crop insurance for this coming crop. I'm Tyron Spearman for Southeast AgNet. Well, with this week's Georgia Grown Moment, here's Nathan Wilson. For this week's Georgia Grown Moment, David Bird of Southern Beverage Packers talks about the beverage bottling business and the interstate impact it has. Southern Beverage Packers is a bottling business located in Appling, Georgia. We have a broker network stretched over 12 states that markets these items to wholesale and retail customers. Now we're coming out with new items. We're really going to capitalize on artesian water. We're also hiring some new salespeople to help get that message and product to the consumer that we have a great product, a product that's great for you and that is locally produced. It puts the dollars that they spend right back into the local economy. David touches on the importance of buying local and the Georgia Grown brand. I think it's a movement by the people to support local. The Georgia Grown campaign has been highly successful, not just for us, but a lot of Georgia vendors. Large retailers in this state now realize the benefits of carrying local produced products. For more information about Southern Beverage and Springtime Artesian Water, visit them on the web at southernbev.com. For Georgia Grown, I'm Nathan Wilson. Well, with the President's Day holiday coming up Monday, Kathy Isom has a story about how some of our country's former leaders once farmed. From Abraham Lincoln splitting rails for fence building to Bill Clinton picking beans. In honor of President's Day, a glance at some of the presidents who knew how to plant corn and herd cattle. Abraham Lincoln was born into farming. His family moved around as farmers and eventually settled in Indiana. But it's his birthplace farm in Knob Creek, Kentucky, preserved as a National Park Service historic site and can still be visited today. Theodore Roosevelt fell in love with cattle, so much so he invested 14 grand in a herd of cattle and had the Maltese cross cabin built. He later expanded his ranching operation and built Elkhorn Ranch. Both ranches are still open to the public. Harry S. Truman worked on the farm for 11 years, taking on the full responsibility of the farm after his father died. His mother would later say it was on the farm that Harry got all of his common sense. Jimmy Carter grew up on his parents' peanut farm in Plains, Georgia. After his father's death, he took over the daily operations of the farm, even turning it around from a devastating drought. By his 1970 gubernatorial campaign, Carter was known as a wealthy peanut farmer. Bill Clinton, another past president, no stranger to farming. His fondest childhood memories come from time spent on a farm in Arkansas. That's where he recalls picking beans, corn, and tomatoes and pouring tubs of water into sandy soil that would later sprout large watermelons. And about a year before he became president, George W. Bush bought Prairie Chapel Ranch in Texas, which was often referred to as the Western White House. He still owns that ranch today. I'm Kathy Isom, Southeast Agnet. And to wrap up this week's podcast, Everett Grinder talks about climate change being more than just a myth. You know, not too many people are giving a lot of thought to climate change, and many won't even accept the fact that it is happening. But science indicates it to be a fact. It is occurring so slowly that signs that, that it exists already are being ignored. Uh, we are cautioned that our forest lands will be one of the first areas to feel the impact of warming temperatures. Another early sign will be in plant development. I guess that includes farming. Birds will be at great risk for early demise. Some species of trees and some birds will be affected more than others. 
it has already been proven that the whole earth is more sensitive to carbon dioxide than previously thought. So what else do we need to show us that climate change is real? I believe all doubt will be will disappear when food crops are affected. And that's Ag Review for today. Everett Griner, Southeast Ag Net. You can hear those reports and more from this past week on our website, southeastagnet.com. Randall Wiseman, Southeast Agnet.